I want you to hear that. I want you to receive that into your soul. Um, and I want you to feel the, the presence of God today. Um, we're looking at Proverbs, and we've started a sermon series in the book of Proverbs. We're calling it An Invitation from Wisdom. And um, actually, there are three invitations in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And these are calls. Wisdom is personified as a woman. She's calling out to three different types of individuals. And, and so these three calls are, are located in chapter 1, chapter 8, and chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at these three calls today, next week, and the week after that. And each week we're going to look at a particular um, type of individual within that call. Uh, the very first call is the call to salvation. That's the one we're going to look at today that's found in chapter 1. That goes out to all three individuals. The scorner, who's the worst guy, the fool, and then the simple person. All three of these need wisdom. And so the first call goes out to all three, and this is the call of salvation. God puts that call out to everybody. The second call is found in chapter 8 of Proverbs, and this call is only to the simple and to the fool. The scorner is excluded from the second call, which is a call to wealth. God does have a call to wealth for you and I. God wants us to prosper. God wants us to be in wealth. Uh, God does not, uh, it's not God's plan that everybody should be poor. Now, riches are not necessarily, physical riches are not the only kind of wealth that God wants us to have. He wants us to have an abundance of peace, an abundance of joy, an abundance of confidence, and uh, an abundance of, 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 of um, power within our life. So there's several areas of wealth, and we're going to get to that next week. Um, but then the final call, it only goes out to one individual, and that is to the simple person. And this is the call to an abundant life. This is a call to a fullness of life. And Jesus, when he came, he said, he said it like this. He said, the thief or the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And ultimately, that is for every single one of us. And so hopefully as we look through these different calls and we talk about these different people, the scorner, the fool, and the simple, you're going you're gonna to find parts of yourself probably. I mean, all of us need a little bit more wisdom. Last week we talked about the value of wisdom and how we all need it and how if you're coming up short on it, that's all right. God is ready and willing to give you wisdom. Um, this week we're going to look at the scorner and uh, uh, the first chapter of Proverbs. Let's go ahead and read Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verse 1. This is the very beginning. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And this is the purpose of his writing. In order that you might know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom. The instruction of wisdom. That's the details. That's the daily details of wisdom. I'm writing this book of Proverbs for you to be able to receive the instruction of wisdom. Justice judgment and equity. That's some stuff we need in our nation today. Justice, judgment, and equity. God loves equity. God loves equality. God is for justice. God is for righteous judgment. To give prudence to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Another purpose is to understand a proverb, an, 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 an enigma. That's a tongue twister. To understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7 really is probably the key verse of the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
Moving along to verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. We talked about, Roe and I preached on that a couple weeks ago. It's reiterated here. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. In other words, they will, they'll be valuable things to you if you keep them with you. My son, if sinners entice you, if you're tempted, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious possessions and will fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Verse 18, this is key. But they, but they, they don't know it. <laughs> but they, this hasn't been publicized. This wasn't on the big print. This wasn't on the large font. But they actually, they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Man, we ought to just, that's, 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 that's America's new verse right there. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away. You are spending your life trying to consume. What you, you are trying to consume, and yet what you're trying to consume is consuming you. <laughs> it takes away the life of the one who gets it. You might, my, my pastor used to say it like this. You might get what you want, but you're going to lose what you had. You might, you might get that house, you might get that car, but what it costs you is much more than financial. The cost of greediness for gain, of never being satisfied with what you have, the cost of that is that it will consume your life. He says it, it, it takes away the life of its owners. And in verse 20, we see uh, the call, the call of, of, of wisdom. Wisdom calls out aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the opening of the gates of the city. She speaks her words. She says, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. This is her first call. She continues, we'll continue in a moment, but her first call, she says, how long? You simple, will you love your simplicity? Scorners, will you delight in your scorning? And fools, will you hate knowledge? Notice, uh, notice the call to these, to these folks. It, she is not speaking to their head. She's not engaging their intellect. She's not trying to put together an argument as to why they ought to desire wisdom, as to why they ought to desire something other than uh, what it is that they have. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means, what, what, what the Bible means when it says simplicity. In, in, in our culture, simplicity is a good thing. Um, what the Bible means when it says simplicity is quite different. It's going to be really good for you to understand that. She says, how long, you simple ones, the key, the reason why simple ones are simple is not because they were born that way. It's not because they were raised that way. It's not because of the culture or the country that they were, that they were brought up in or the media. It's not, it's, it's not any of that. It's because they love simplicity. And we talked about this last week. What you love will always determine the direction of your life. The, 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 your heart's desire is in the driver's seat of your life. You can have your shoulds. You can go to church and say, well, I should do this and I should do that. But eventually what you love will always conquer what you should. 
What you love will show itself. It is in the driver's seat of your life. It is directing all of your life. And so when wisdom uh, calls out to these folks, to the scorners, to the fools, and to the simple, she is speaking to their desire. She's speaking to what they love. She's speaking to their heart, not their head. And so often we, we, we think that if we can change our head, that somehow that'll affect our heart, but that's actually not the way that wisdom is dealing with this. She is speaking to their heart. And in the New Testament it says that there are three things that are eternal, faith, hope, and love, right? Faith, that is in your head, that is in your mind, that is what you believe. Faith is, is what you believe. It's what you speak. You can speak words of faith and you can think thoughts of faith. That's awesome. But these three things remain. There is faith, and that's your thoughts, your thought life, and it is powerful. Faith and hope. Hope is what you desire. But then at the very core of you, and the thing which is greatest of all of these is what do you love? Because what you love will inform what you hope for, and what you hope for will inform what you are able to believe in. And so we can, we can, on Sunday mornings, we can talk to your head. We can talk to why you ought to believe in God and why you ought to believe in healing and why you ought to believe in all these things. And you can, you can focus on your faith. And I, 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 I'm thinking correctly. I'm thinking correctly. I'm speaking correctly. And that's good. And uh, Joyce Meyer's Battlefield of the Mind, great book. You ought to read it sometime. It's powerful. We do need to uh, change our thought processes. But the way that we change our thinking is we adjust our hope. And the way we adjust our hope is we change what we love. There has to be, at the very heart of all of us, if we desire the wisdom of God, if we desire to live with the wisdom of God, we have to change what we love. We have to change what we love. We have to change what we desire. We have to change what we hope for. And then we have to change how we speak about things and how we think about things. And these three things are powerful. But the greatest, the beginning, the start, is what do you love? The greatest of these is love. And that's why she says, how long will you love simplicity? And scorners, look, they delight in their scorning. <laughs> they, 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 they delight in it. They, they delight in their scorning. And so what exactly uh, is it that, that they delight? And I have some slides here that have some scriptures for you with regard to a scorner. Um, I think I have two slides for, for scorners and multiple scriptures on there from the book of Proverbs let you know kind of uh, some description of the scorner because in our day we don't generally use the word scorner or scorning or scorn. That doesn't really resonate with us. Some translations say mocker or mocking um, and that, that, that's close to it in that you know he's kind of making fun of somebody else or something and that's sort of close to it but 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 really when scripture, when, when Proverbs is talking about a scorner, the actual word, uh, it comes from a word which means to stammer. It means to stammer, like, like, like to babble, like to say, like trying to say something, but you're, you're speaking in unintelligible language, actually. And, it's, and it's, used, it's used with reference to like two people who don't speak the same language. So like I've been on several uh, Mexico mission trips, and I've tried and tried and tried to learn Spanish. Everybody told me how easy it was, and I'm just not smart enough. I even took a, I even took a college degree. Like, I took a course, and I paid somebody to try to teach me Spanish, and it was uh, Senior, uh, Senior Hernandez who was trying to teach me Spanish. 
Mr. Fleming, would you speak, would you stand up and share that? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't even do my homework. What are you talking about? Like, I don't know what you're like. You tell me how this works. But he didn't, he didn't even know English very well. And he's trying to teach me. So I've, I've been like, because I've been on several Mexico mission trips and I thought, man, it would be great. Every time I preach, I always have to have a translator. I'm like, man, if I could just learn Spanish, then I could just speak in Spanish and translate. And I'm like, I know a few phrases, right? Like, you know, uh, no habla espanol. That's my number one that's my number one sentence. No habla espanol me. I don't know how that works, but, uh, and then donde esta baño. Like that says, like, I know that. Don, like, <laughs> donde esta baño, me no habla espanol. So like, you have to show me where the baño is. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just like give me direct, to make a left here, turn right at the purple something. I don't know what you're talking about. You have to take my hand. And so, so I understand a little bit of what it means to be a scorner because, because the picture of a scorner is somebody who, who doesn't speak the language. And these two people come together and the scorner uh, is basically trying to communicate with somebody who doesn't speak their language. And it's very similar, you know, to being in Mexico. And, 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 and oftentimes, I just have to say, look, I, like, no habla espanol. Like, like no habla espanol. I don't know how to say that slower or faster or how that, maybe I'm just not rolling the right thing. Um, but, but, you know, I don't, like, I don't speak Spanish. But it's interesting, like, whenever you grow up with a language, you just, like, that's how you communicate. You know, and some, and for, and, and like for some reason, even when you know other people don't understand that language, like you just speak louder, right? You just, you just like, like they're deaf or something. Like, no, no, no. They don't, it's not that they can't hear you. They just can't understand what you are saying. But this is what a scorner does. A scorner does not speak God's language. A scorner does not understand God's language. And a scorner doesn't even understand other people's language. Like, like, like currently in our culture, we have a whole lot of biblical scorners. We have, we have, a, we have a very divided society. So we have folks on one side, like it, you just, just pick a subject, say politics. We have folks on one side of the spectrum and they speak their own language and they all agree with their language and they understand their language. And they are primarily coming to agreement around the fact that those guys suck. The guys on the other side, Right. Like, maybe you're not supposed to say that in church. Christian, in, in, in a Christian way, they suck. They, 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 that's what I mean by that. Like, they are, like, we have all come to an agreement. Those people, they suck. And then over here, they have their language, and they're speaking it to each other. And they're, you know, you're, 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 they have their own TV channels and stuff, and, and, and news feeds, and all this kind of, and, and they, 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 they are diverse. But the one thing they can agree is that, that the people that speak that language, they suck as well in a Christian way. And so they, you know, and, and, and this, is, this is their language. And so, and, and even inside the church, actually, the church can have a certain kind of language. And we kind of start talking about all of our stuff. And, and yeah, we agree with that. And oh, absolutely. And those people outside the church, they definitely kind of suck. They don't know what's up, right? They're just, they're just lost, you know, unbelievers out there, different, separate, messed up, jacked up. But us, we understand that, you know, we're, we don't have it all together, but at least I'm not where I was. And, and we understand all of this kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? We have our own language. And if somebody walks in and, and like, like you start speaking your Christian language, they don't know your Christian language. And they're like, what's an unbeliever? What is the, speaking in tongues? What is that? What is tongues? I, speaking with tongues, I got that. Speaking in tongues, how does this work? And we, 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 we speak our own language. And what happens is it, is it causes division because when we come together, we start trying to talk to each other and we don't understand. So we just get louder. 
And if social media is proven anything, it's that when you like share your views on social media, like nobody changes their mind. First of all, you don't get any converts. Secondly, nobody, uh, you know, engages hardly in even thoughtful debate. We just get louder and we get louder and we get louder and we're yelling at each other in this completely different language because a scorner is not looking to understand. Scorn, like, like, like when I go to Mexico, I just, like, I just write out a sign and tape it to my chest. No habla espanol. It's my first thing, you know. They're like, hola, no habla espanol, hola. You know, like I don't really, you know, that's about all I know. And so, like, I need, I don't understand you. I need you to help me. A scorner doesn't have the humility to say, I don't understand you. So what a scorner will do, a scorner will make fun, a scorner will basically say blah, 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 blah. Because that's what, what you're saying says to them. They listen to you, but they don't understand you. And so they judge you based on what they don't understand. They do this with God, and that's the worst, but they also do it with other people. They also look at other people who don't speak the same language, and they judge them. And this is why some of these scriptures are here. Proverbs 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 8 he says to his son, he says, do not correct a scoffer or a scorner because if you do, he'll hate you. Correction actually is a good thing because the very next verse says, rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Tell a wise man that, hey, you know what? There's this issue in your life. I think if you clear this up, you'd be a lot more free, have a lot more peace. And he'll say, thank you. That is awesome. Thank you for that information. Thank you. I didn't even see that in my life. Wow. Woo, woo. I love you, man. You're the best thing ever. And that's what a wise man will do with correction. But a scorner, when, 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 when you come up to him and even suggest that he's remotely not entirely perfect, they see that as hate. So they think you're hating them because they don't understand the language of God. They don't understand the language of correction. They don't see it as a good thing. And so what is a good thing, you're trying to warn somebody that what they're doing is really going to mess them up. At the same time, they don't see it that way. They see it as you're telling me that I'm not perfect. Therefore, you are obviously hating me, who I am. And so my hope today is that each of us will see a little bit of scorner inside of us and allow God to get that out. Because as long as that remains in us, we'll never be able to receive the wisdom of God. We'll never be able to walk with God because anytime you walk with God, God is light, right? And so as you walk by him, stuff gets illuminated. So like you guys are out there kind of in the dark and so um, you could... you you. You could definitely be drawing things on your paper. Nobody would really know it um, in doodling and stuff. But I'm up here, like, I got, like, a thousand spotlights on me. And so if I'm drawing anything, you're going to see what I'm doing. If, if, if my fly's undone, you're going to see that. Uh, you know, like, all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's, 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 it's quite, uh, it's, 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 it's uh, what's, what's the word, vulnerable to be up in front of people with a bunch of lights on you. But that's what happens when you walk with God. You walk with God, and God is light. God's much brighter than these spotlights. And so you start seeing things in your life. It's like, I don't really know. That, that doesn't look too good. And he's not condemning you. He's not judging you. He's bringing correction. Because it's a wonderful thing for you to get better. It's a wonderful thing for you to grow. It's a wonderful thing for you to learn and to say, wow, I can add that to my life, and I can, I can, I can do without that. I don't need that. And, and, and as 
you grow, you become wise. But, but the, the scoffer, the scorner, takes, all, um, uh, t- takes it all as an allegation. <laughs> so, so my question is, can somebody correct you without you becoming defensive? Teenagers, can your parents correct, come on somebody, can your parents correct you without you becoming defensive? Can you, can you take some criticism without, and, 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 this is, and, and this is one of the markers of a scorner generation. And they say, look, you can't, you can't judge me unless you walked a mile in my shoes. Because they're not, they're not, they're not looking for understanding. They're not trying to understand. They, they, the scornful generation, they have to make their own mistakes, which is the most painful way to learn and the slowest way to learn and the worst way to learn because for every single process in your life, there are about a hundred gazillion mistakes you could make until you find out the right way to do it. And so wisdom is, I don't have to scrape my knee. I don't have to bruise my arms to figure out that jumping out of a tree is not a good idea. I can listen to somebody who's on the ground who's probably done that before and said, hey, it's not a good idea. And he's going to speak to me and say, don't jump out of the tree, just climb down. And then you're going to learn. But a foolish generation, a scornful generation, they, they, they say, no, 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 don't speak to me. I'll figure it out on my own. And they do, and they have the same cuts and scrapes and bruises that their parents did. And they live with the same scars of the mistakes, and they still haven't learned how to have wisdom. Scornful generation says, you can't speak to me unless you've walked a mile in my shoes. And I, and I you know, I, I would suggest that you walk a mile in someone's shoes before you criticize them. That way, you're a mile down the road, and they don't got any shoes. So it's safer that way. I, I would suggest it's safer. But, but man, if the only people that can speak to you are people that have lived exactly in your situation, like born in the same household, got the same parents, lived in the same, then nobody can speak to you. The only people that can critique you and help you are people that are exactly like you, then nobody can ever, and that's kind of the point, I think, for the scorner. Proverbs 9, verse 12 says, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, then you bear it alone. Scorners end up alone. Scorners always end up lonely. Proverbs 14, 6 says, a scoffer or a scorner seeks wisdom and doesn't find it. Isn't it interesting? A scorner will seek wisdom, but won't find it. Why won't they find it? Because they're seeking wisdom without humility. Because somebody told them that wisdom was going to make them wealthy. Somebody told them that wisdom was going to help them with their, with their family life and with their finances and with their marriage. But, 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 but they didn't realize that they were going to have to deny themselves. <laughs> and, 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 and not do things the way that they think they ought to. A scorner will be happy to hear your advice until it disagrees with what they already thought. And then they're like, well, you're an idiot. And then, we, and then we start escalating. No, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. And we don't learn. We don't learn from each other. We don't listen to each other. Anyway, the next slide has a couple more scriptures for the, for the scorner. The other thing is that the scorners become uh, very, very angry. Uh, a proud and haughty man scoffer, a scorner is his name. He acts with arrogant pride, with that, with that, that, that pridefulness that is, that is angry. They, they're quite volatile. Proverbs 22, verse 10 says, cast out a scoffer, and contention will leave. <laughs> yes, strife and reproach will cease. Because a scorner is always butting heads with everybody else and causing division among everybody else because they're not interested in listening to anybody. 
They're just interesting in, interested in telling their, their side of it, and they're not interested in embracing anybody or reconciling with anybody. And so there's contention there. But man, when a scorner or a scoffer leaves, when that bit of your heart that is scorning wisdom and in scorning correction, when that leaves, you get peace in your heart. When that bit walks out the door, you start to get peace in your life and peace in your family and peace in your church. So many churches are torn apart by scorners, by people who just are not ready to change at all. They just want to complain about everything. But man, when that bit inside their heart walks out the door, when that scorner walks out, suddenly strife, reproach, these things stop. Contention stops. You stop contending or competing with other people. And this is the key. This is the key in the next uh, slide as we continue reading Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 says, uh, this is a bit of judgment here. He says, because I've called and you have refused, I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and wouldn't have any of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. <laughs> Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> I also will mock or scorn when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm, your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose, there's that term again, the fear of the Lord. And they would have none of my counsel. They despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they will eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For it is the turning away of the simple that actually slays them. It is not the enemy that does them in. It is not... Uh, the, the culture that takes them out. It is not the media. It is not the social media. It is, it is the turning away. It is the turning away of the simple that actually slays them. And the complacency of fools is what destroys them. Nobody is victims here. They do not have wisdom because they have chosen not to desire wisdom. You, whatever upbringing you have, you have an opportunity of calling to wisdom. Some of us had a harder upbringing than others, but wisdom is calling out to every single one of us. And wisdom says, man, you don't have any excuse because I've made myself available to you. I tried to show you the right way. And, and because of that, you're, you, actually your turning away is what's going to destroy you. God's not going to destroy you. Your turning away, your own turning away is what's going to do it. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Isn't it interesting that the one who fears the Lord does not fear evil? The fear of the Lord is an interesting term. It's thrown around in church a lot. It sounds very churchy. Um, and at the same time, it's incredibly watered down in church. We, we say, when, when you read the fear of the Lord, the word fear <laughs> is there. Um, when this is translated uh, into the Greek, which is called the Septuagint, when the Old Testament is translated into Greek, um, the word is phobos. That's where we get our word phobia from. <laughs> so fear, phobia, phobos, fear literally means fear. <laughs> I had to go way back into the original language to figure this one out, okay? But fear means fear. Like when you're afraid of something, that's one of the meanings of this word, that, 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 that when you choose the fear of the Lord, 
Now, this is not a fear that comes upon you like a phobia. This is not a fear that, that comes at you because of your circumstances, but it is a choice that you can choose the fear of the Lord. What, is, what does it mean to fear God? Well, number one, it means to understand just the awful responsibility that we have as humans under God. That God is going to judge each and every one of us. And some of us don't really have an understanding of that, and so we don't choose to fear him. But it, it would be helpful for you to understand that where you're sitting right now in 2016 here in Williams Elementary, on uh, those of you that are sitting on a black chair, as Emilio says, uh, you're sitting right there, you, you brushed your teeth this morning, hopefully, and <laughs> showered sometime recently. You're, you're thinking about the mortgage, you're thinking about... Uh, stuff that's been happening in the news this week. The, you, you, your kids, your family, you're like, like you in your life, you're, you're, you're living independent right now. But there's coming a day when you're going to stand before God and he is going to judge every moment of your existence. Every moment. Every moment is going to be replayed as it were on a, a giant screen. And he is going to critique every moment, moments that nobody else knows about, he knows about. Not only the moments of your life, but the thoughts of your life and the desires of your heart that you never even got to accomplish. He's going to critique that. He's going to judge that. And that ought to create a certain sense of fear. That ought to create a certain sense of phobos of, wow, this thing is really important. Like, what I'm doing today is really important. Not just because it affects my family, not just because it affects these people around me, not just because it affects my society, but because God is watching every single moment. And God has an opinion about every single decision that I make. And that's what it means to have fear of the Lord, to live with that. In fact, when you fear God in that way, when you understand that God is watching and that God is holding you accountable and responsible, you make decisions based on that. And there's some, there some ladies in the Bible, uh, there was a time in which the people of God were, were under slavery to Pharaoh. They were under slavery in Egypt. And Pharaoh said all of the male babies have to be thrown into the Nile River. Every male baby born to the Jewish people has to be thrown into the Nile and drowned. But there were some midwives... Uh, We've always given birth with midwives. Shout out to midwives. There were some midwives thousands of years ago, and the Bible says that they feared the Lord. And so, because they feared the Lord, they respected life, even when their leadership, even when their government told them to disregard life, they still respected life. And so they would come and they would help the women give birth to the babies. And when it was a male, they would still let that baby live. And Pharaoh said, hey, these people are still having male children. What's going on? And they said, well, we get there. These women are really strong. They already have the babies. And so they, 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 they defended what they were doing and they didn't fear Pharaoh. When you fear God, that's what's ultimately important in your life. The question is not, well, what would my boss think and what would my coworkers think and how will this reflect on me? But no, no, no. The question is, what does God think about my current situation? And they feared the Lord, the Bible says, which brought them to a conclusion that they ought to respect and honor life. 
regardless of what Pharaoh was saying. So there is a bit of fear, but there's also carried with the word, especially in the Hebrew, is a sense of, of healthy respect. To fear the Lord means to understand that you're not dealing just with a regular person. You're not dealing with just an average Joe. That this, this God is so awesome that he requires and demands our respect. We're building a, a, a little house right now, and um, we figured out, we, we had it mapped out where we wanted it to be. And uh, JT had a Perdinelli's or Peter Nellies or this priest of Pentecost guy come on out uh, with the elect- to check the electrical because um, we noticed there was a wire like going overhead. I don't, I don't know anything about wires. And so they said, oh, well, you can't build here because it's directly under that wire. And I said, well, yeah, it's under the wires, not through the wire. So we're good, right? We're under the wire. They said, no, no, no. Like this wire carries, what, 14,000 volts of electricity in it. Not 120, not 240, 14,000 volts of electricity. So if something were to happen and that wire were to fall, it would like, you know, fry your house and fry you and fry your kids and fry your fish. I mean, just everything would be fried. And uh, we're like, that's not good. Uh, so th- this wire is so powerful that, that you have to, you can't build a house under it. You can't even build a house next to it. You have to build a house at least 10 feet away from it. Not because we don't like the wire. Not because we don't, not, not because we don't think the wire is useful. It's bringing, you know, obviously electricity to us and to our neighbors. It's a good wire. But it's just so powerful that you can't just look good. The only way you can distinguish, the only way, is not based on how you feel about it at the time. That doesn't work. Um, it's also not, well, we just have to eat it to see if it's poisonous or not. Because that's dumb. Um, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> the, the, the only way you can figure this out is based on the word of God. And she said, great, what's a, what's a good scripture for that? <laughs> and I said, well, let's see, Genesis, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. There's 66 books that um, I would suggest you read and memorize these things. Because, because wisdom, and, and I said especially Proverbs is very helpful, because, because what wisdom shows us is that wisdom gives us direction for each and every one of those details. And so in your hand, you have a piece of paper, and we're going to close out with this. It's a little more studious today, but I have a little fill-in-the-blank thing. I got a little crazy and uh, printed out. <laughs> I, mean, I thought that was funny. Uh, and printed out a little fill-in-the-blank for you. It's not complicated. I, I promise you'll be able to spell all the words. Um, and uh, these are some scripture references with regard, and I don't even, uh, okay, I, I think maybe I do have one, with regard to the fear of the Lord. And um, uh, I also have just a slide for us to be able to get to the benefits. Whenever we get to the benefits of, of the fear of the Lord, we'll, we'll turn to that. But right now, the definition of the fear of the Lord, if you want to whip out the piece of paper, you can take this home with you, you can meditate on this, this will serve as a guide for you. Um, number one, what is the definition of the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which we read that today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord. See, I told you you'd be able to spell it. F-E-A-R-O-F, space in between. Uh, Lord, L-O-R-D. Is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs fifteen thirty three: the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. The instruction, the day-to-day details of wisdom. You want wisdom? That's great. Wisdom is going to lean in your ear and whisper, 
fear the Lord. In this situation, well, I'm not really sure which is the right thing to do. Okay, look, this is the right thing to do. Fear the Lord. Should I date him or should I date him? Or Look, this is the right thing to do. Fear the Lord. Anything that subtracts from a fear of the Lord is bad. Get that out. Wisdom, the instruction of wisdom. Wisdom leans in and whispers to your soul. In this instance, fear the Lord. Well, this family member saying that, that family member, no, no, no. You fear the Lord. This is the instruction of wisdom. This is the, the words that wisdom will repeat to you over and over again. Proverbs eight thirteen. the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. So, so we're going to love God, but we're also just, we're going to despise evil. We're going to hate evil. Obviously, evil in our society, anywhere it shows up, anyone who's committing evil, we hate evil. Now, we don't hate the people. We hate the evil. We, we, we hate the pride. We hate the arrogance. We don't hate the people, but we do hate evil, which means we even hate it in our own lives. One of the reasons why we still have evil in our own hearts is because we don't really hate evil. We hate the effects of evil. But if you hated the heart, not just the taking of an innocent life, but the heart that says, I ought to be the judge of who lives and who dies. If you hated the selfishness, not just, if, if you hated the evil, the root of it, you would get it out even of your own heart. We had, we had prayer on Friday night. We we're supposed to have a movie night, and I just felt with all the craziness that was going on this week, we just needed to pray for our nation and pray for each other. And right at the end of it, I really felt really strongly that we just, we needed to forgive everyone. And you know that you're, you're leaning towards scornership. It's not even a word. I just made it up. You're leaning towards scornership whenever you retell stories. And it's, and it's something like, well, I was at work, and I was just doing this very thoughtful and responsible thing. I was just doing great. And then Gary started talking, and he said I was stupid, and he was just so illogical and so over the top. And my goodness, it was done. And I responded really, really well. But he was like this, and it's like, and then I, it's like your tone changes, right? It's like when you're talking about yourself, it's like logical slow, reasonable, start talking about other people. You know what I mean? That, that's called scorning, where in all of your stories, you are like Jesus's second cousin, and, and, and anybody who says it otherwise is like Lucifer's, you know, half-brother, you know. It's like, that's what it means, because <laughs> you're not fearing the Lord. You're retelling the story in order to make yourself feel better about you. If we had a video camera in that conference room and we saw what you, your face looked like, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you might not have said anything, but you just gave him the stink eye. I mean, like, take some, <laughs> let wisdom speak to you. Let the fear of the Lord, not the fear of what your friends think or social media thinks. To the jerk who cut me off in traffic, I just want to tell you, are you friends with him on Facebook? Does he even read this? What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? It's like, but I was really sweet and I didn't know. Okay, that's wonderful. But the fear of the Lord says that your opinion is not what matters. And if I get a whole bunch of likes on Facebook and people, yeah, they agree with me, that doesn't mean jack. <laughs> it doesn't mean nothing. If God sees your heart, 
You can't make up all the guilt you feel. You cannot make up with all the pats on the back that you seek. It doesn't go away because God sees you. That's not negative. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to help you understand. God is calling out to you. Wisdom is calling out. I will pour my spirit on you. I will make myself known to you. If you'll just receive it. This is how you acquire the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2, 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When? Well, the previous verses say, When you receive wisdom. When you receive it. We talked about that last week. Proverbs 3, 7. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Fear the Lord and then turn away from evil. You acquire the fear of the Lord when you lower your opinion of yourself. And you say, God, I need you to judge me. I need you to tell me if there's anything unclean inside of me. And there's some serious benefits to fearing the Lord. If you put up that slide, you'll see right here in Proverbs 10, 27, a long life is promised. The fear of the Lord lengthens one's life. It'll have physical benefits for you. Because when you fear God, you don't fear other things, so your anxiety goes down. And if you understood what your anxiety is doing to your health, even with stuff going around in our country, you can have peace in your own heart. You don't have to get caught up in the boiling point and the frenzy that everybody else is going, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No, no, no. I fear the Lord. He is watching me. He is in charge of my life. I trust Him. I know Him. I am at peace with Him. I'm not afraid to die because He is judging me. I'm ready to stand before him. Everything's open. I've got nothing to hide. Everything in my past has been forgiven. Everything in my future is being crafted. I fear the Lord, so I have peace. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. <laughs> it brings satisfaction into your life. Proverbs 22, 4, true humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches honor and long life. Proverbs 16, 6, by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. In other words, salvation comes from God. But if you want to walk with God, you have to fear Him. You have to fear Him if you want direction from Him. Iniquity has already been atoned for. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins. And when we turn to Him, we receive that immediately, instantly. But for everything else, for the tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And what do I do when this happens? And what do I do when that happens? And do I live here or do I live there? And, what do, and all the what ifs, the fear of the Lord answers every single one of them. Because scripture's already told us that he's put his own desire inside of us. And we know what is pleasing to him. And so when we fear him, we, we seek out the answers in his word. We seek out wise counsel. We seek it out and then we go with it. And it does start with receiving salvation. And so I'd just like for us to pray for just a moment. If we close our eyes for a moment and bow our, our heads, I would like to invite you, as, as wisdom gave out a call of salvation to every scorner, I would like to invite you uh, to receive salvation today, to receive the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ, to receive him into your heart and start this path of wisdom. Wherever you are, whatever bondage you are in, you're not too far from God. And so if you'd like to pray with me today, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm going to make that decision to follow him. And I'm going to make that commitment to receive him. I don't have enough on my own. That's good. And that humility, you say, why do you have people raise hands and pray a prayer? Because it's humility is what it is. 
It says, I need God. I'm not all right. I'm not self-sufficient. I need his rebuke. I need his correction. (laughs) I welcome that. So, Lord, right now, we choose to turn away from doing life our own way. We repent for our sins, which means we confess that we are a sinner. We confess that we have not feared you. We've lived completely without regard to what you think. And we're choosing today to turn to you. Seek you for direction. Seek you for our morality. To seek you for every area of our life. We want to live a life that fears you. That lives with a conscious awareness of your presence and your power over our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would just...